0: Someone said to me when my son was really little, I was like, when is it going to get easier? And she was like, here's the thing. She's like, in about three months, you're going to be like, okay, I feel like I'm starting to like get this down. And then she's like, and then everything's going to change. And she's like, and every three months, everything's going to change. You're going to feel like you just got it figured out and then it's all going to change. And I feel like that's the case in motherhood. That's the case in entrepreneurship.
1: Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Finding Fearless podcast. I am your host, Madeline Pratt, and I am so excited for the story I am sharing with you today. I got to sit down with Sarah Dean, the founder and president of the Shameless Mom Academy. Sarah is all the things. She is a business leader, a leadership coach, a keynote speaker. She is a step into your Moxie certified facilitator and a podcast host. Sarah is a mindset, business and leadership coach at her core. She has a beautiful story that spans so many different walks of life. That's one of my favorite things about this conversation is is her sharing about all the different things she's been in her career and how it's bubbled up to the person she is today. She is also the creator and host of the Shameless Mom Academy podcast, a top-rated podcast with 4 million downloads. Sarah's biggest passion is helping women own their space. And this conversation, y'all, it is so fun. We talk about balance, we talk about boundaries, we obviously talk about motherhood and so many things in between. So I hope you adore this conversation. Here is me sitting down with Sarah Dean. Hello and welcome back to the Finding Fearless podcast. I am your host Madeline Pratt and today I have an amazing conversation in store for all of you. One of my favorite things about having this podcast is how one story leads to another. And I was talking with my friend, Elena Joy, and she said, there's somebody I know you need to know, and her name is Sarah Dean. So here today on the podcast is Ms. Sarah Dean. She is the founder and president of the Shameless Mom Academy, and she is a business leader, a coach, a keynote speaker, and somebody who I am so excited for you all to know. Also, she's a podcast host in her own right. So we'll talk about that today. So I'm um, so excited to have you here, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you so much. I'm so excited. And shout out to Elena Joy. So grateful for the connection. This is going to be fun.
1: Yeah. And not only that, when she connected us, you're in my backyard. You're you're across the water from me. And it's it's, you know, normally I'm talking to people on the other side of the country. And I like to refer to Seattle as across the pond because it's... <laughs> the So you're just across the pond from me. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. I yes. love it too. Okay. So I want to dive straight into your story as deep and personal as you're willing to go with us. And so the question we kick off with is what shaped you into the woman you are today?
0: Oh, good question. I also feel, I'm like, Oh, I let's talk for three days now. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I will say I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I don't really want this to be the answer, but I think it is the answer. I went to Catholic schools for 16 years and I get real mad about Catholicism, like on a regular basis. And also, damn it, like there's so much from that 16 years that formed me. And I think that the biggest piece of it is not really necessarily connected to religion, but I feel like the education I got because it was based in Catholicism made me a really good critical thinker. And I think critical thinking is just a really significant skill that has become, it's like pre-foundational to the work that I do and is, it constantly calls me back to like why I'm making the choices that I make, whether that is deciding to sell a business or start a new business or who I'm going to serve in the business or how I'm going to help people feel a sense of belonging in a business. Like all of that is critical thinking. And so like I don't want it to be 16 years of Catholic education, but that might be the answer. <laughs>
1: I, I, and you took that in a direction I wasn't expecting. Cause I was like, are we going to talk about shame? <laughs> like, like, nope. it was
0: like, That's the thing we're yeah. not, no, <laughs> because, and I mean, but it, that I can connect it to shame for sure, but yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And, and, and I, I mean, I think critical thinking is a rarity in the world these days. I look a lot, for example, you know, we've, we've been on this journey lately with my family of reevaluating the way our oldest is going to school. And and that's one of the things that I very much see missing from traditional education. And I was, I was privileged enough to do an educational environment that started out in a really like a like a multi-age, you know, family-based, you know, bunch of hippie parents got together and created like their version of a Montessori program. That was my first schooling. And then my second was, you know, a private school that was very academic. It's now an IB program. And I look at the way my kiddo is learning and I'm like, this is chicken boxes. This is not critical thinking. And so you don't realize it. Like when you're young, you're like, I'm just going to school and this is what I have to do because I'm a kid, but that foundation I think can be everything.
0: Yeah. It's a big deal. And it was a huge consideration when we were deciding on schools for my child as well. And my husband was like, wait, why would we look at a religious school? Neither of us practice anything. (laughs) And I was like, no, like there's some reasons that this is important and yeah, it's a, it's a bigger deal than I thought. And it's interesting to look back and we could probably all look back at different things from our life and see like, this is the thing that is like so foundational in my life that I didn't even know that it was there because it's been there for so long. But when you can identify that thing, I think you can make really great connections. And I think that relating it to shame and the shameless mom Academy and the work that I do, I think that, It becomes a place where you can take something that some of us accept is that a lot of us accept is true and look at it from a different angle and flip it up on its head. And that can give you a lot more power. And so when it comes to moms feeling guilt or shame or women feeling guilt and shame, all of a sudden you can take this whole paradigm and be like, but what if we looked at it from this way? And now all of a sudden the universe opens up in a new way.
1: Oh my God. I love this. I, I'm like, I feel like I'm getting behind the scenes of your podcast by having you on my podcast. It's like this beautiful <laughs> moment. But it, it brings me to something that I really want to dig into because one of the things I love about your story is how many different chapters it has. And I think that <laughs> we as, but it's so important, right? Like I think we as women are getting to this place where we start to recognize the beauty and like, and now I get to start a new chapter. Like it used to be a thing, right? Where it's like, you know, our parents' generation was like, you know, you're gonna work for the person till the day you die. And you like, yes, you know, we we think God are not doing that anymore. But I still think it's hard sometimes to let go and to start something new. And and you know, we just did an episode about career transitions and I knew that was like in the ethos, but man, it really was received by folks because there's so many women thinking about, you know, what is that next chapter for me right now? And so, you know, I want you to just take us back to when, you know, all of your titles were just like a dream (laughs) or an idea. And, you know, what has led you through all these chapters and through this career journey
0: you've been on? So I love this because when you said there's this idea, old school idea that we should like stick with the same thing till we retire. I was in a position, my first career, I worked in a psychiatric hospital with kids. And a few years into that career, I was like, oh shoot, like I majored in the wrong thing in college. And so now I need to go back to school and start all over again because I, this is like not a sustainable role for me. It was so stressful and intense. And these were like very young children who were in a lockdown psychiatric facility. So it was, it was a lot to take on in my early twenties. And when I was trying to figure out like, okay, if I don't want to do this, what do I want to do instead? The question I kept coming back to, and and I remember having conversations with my mom about it. It was this constant, like, what do I want to do for 40 years? And that was such a daunting question. But I was like, if I'm going to go back and get a master's degree and I'm going to take on all this debt, like I have to be really conscientious about like, it's got to be one thing for 40 years so that I can like pay back my loans and I couldn't make the decision. So for like a year and a half I was trying to think through what it could be and looking into different programs and I ultimately did not go get a masters. I ended up getting becoming a personal trainer and going through like a two-year degree program after already having gotten a four-year degree. And what happened after that was like my eyes opened up to this idea that oh, you could just do something for like a few years and then do something else. And I think the reason I laughed when you were like out of all your titles and all the things that you've done It can look like to the outside, like she kind of jumps around a lot, but when I look at it and when I talk about it, and the thing is, is we all get to choose how we frame our stories and we frame our past and everything. The way I can see it very clearly is that everything has been building up to the next thing. So some people might be like, huh, she worked in a psych hospital and then she was a trainer and then she started a gym and then she like did a podcast and it can look like, when is she going to make up her mind? But the reality is, is like every single thing poised me for the next thing which in a lot of ways feels really empowering and really exciting because now I know that what I'm doing right now is poisoning for whatever's next, even if I don't know what that thing is yet. So when I had, when I was a personal trainer and I decided to open my own gym, which was terrifying because that was never really a goal, but I had so many clients I kind of had to open my own space and which was a gift, <laughs> a terrifying gift. But at a certain point, I realized that the mission being in the fitness industry my mission around supporting women and empowering women was directly at odds with the industry. And so I was in this place of constantly helping women shrink their bodies as their primary goal in life. And many of my clients had had that as their primary goal in life their entire lives. And after I became a mom, I just was, it was like so glaring to me. Again, I was like, I am in the wrong, I did the wrong thing. Like I chose the wrong career. Again, <laughs> I'm like, this is wrong. I cannot be in. I can't market helping women shrink their bodies anymore. I just can't do it. So the flip side of that was like, how do I build something that allows women to take up space, take up all the space, be as big as they can possibly be with their bodies and their voices and their gifts. And that's where the podcast came from was really specifically around helping moms take up space. And so that's how I ended up here today. And I knew that when I was in that gym environment, I had such an amazing community and I saw the impact of my voice and my mission with those women. And I knew that if I could do that on this micro geographical level, that there was a an opportunity to do things on a bigger stage, which was how the podcast became a thing where I was like, I think like, I could see myself sitting behind a microphone and having women all over the world take in this message. So that's what I built. And it totally started out as like an experiment like oh, I'll just see how this feels and try it out and see what happens. I still had the gym. And then over time, I ended up deciding that I wanted to be in the podcast full time and selling the gym so that I could do that. So the vision, like as I could see impact, the vision kept growing. And I think that that's like been the ongoing theme is like, I can see impact in one area. So if I can have that impact there, how can I expand upon that in different ways and in a way that's like the trajectory is in terms of impact is getting bigger and moving up.
1: But I, I love, I love that word choice there. I love the choice of impact because to me, I go like, I, I always talk about, I'm, I'm looking for women who are all about that ripple. And to me, like the ripple is you are the impact, like you are the, you are the stone that I can drop into the water, but you're not in it for you. You're not in it for the moment or the act like you're in it for the ripple. You're in it for yeah. how many other women can I now take my circle and spread it out to you and make this message resonate and make this belief system change and make these systems, you know, change because it does take all of us, you know, and we each have our own, you know, beautiful gifts to bring to the table. And sometimes you'll make the impact here and you'll go, oh, okay, that's, that's a piece of it, but it's not all of it. And so I need to maybe move where I'm casting myself to either, you know, be be able to do bigger work or to reach, you know, a different audience or to get a new message out there. And one of the things that I I, I found really interesting about your story, and I related to a lot as well, is, you know, I was very interested at, at a point when I was kind of spinning up the idea for the Fearless Foundry and I was doing coaching work with women, particularly women entrepreneurs. There was a piece of me that was very connected to the world of fitness. I had just gotten my yoga cert you know, I grew up as a dancer and was really, you know, I getting in touch with my body and learning to love my body was really how I overcame eating disorders that I had in high school and things like that. And, and so there was a part of me that like, is like, there's something here. Like there's a way that we can make women feel empowered by like working with them and helping them love their body and nutrition. But similar to you, there was just so much bullshit (laughs) There was you know, so much so much bullshit that I was like, I don't want to just be like the lady standing over her. and granted, like, I think we've come a long way in the last five years, but for example, like, like some of the white lady shit in the yoga industry and like cultural mm-hmm. appropriation, like those were circles where I was like, I want to be a part of this practice, but I can't say this is mine. Like, you know, and so I, I dealt with that a lot and it's ultimately why I have yet to build a, a business in that space is because I still feel like it's a pretty, toxic industry. And so I, I, this is like a total, I'm throwing you this out of left field, but I'm very curious to know for you, like, what is your personal physical practice look like now? Because for me, I've been everything from like a super hardcore weight trainer to like a really devoted yogi. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to find, you know, a physical practice that works for my life as a mom that works for myself as a busy entrepreneur. And is also just based in like, I love my body and therefore I move it. I'm not like, I wish, you know, that I could fit in those pants this summer. Kind of right. Day. Yeah.
0: Right. So it's so interesting because my physical practice now it's evolved so much and I would never count count in air quotes. I would never count what I do now as workouts, as workouts 20 years ago, because 20 years ago I was doing triathlons and I was like, doing two or three session training sessions a day in multiple sports. So like, I'm going to do hot yoga in the morning, and then I'm going to like swim and bike in the afternoon. Cause I was like 22, had no kids was single, like what else was I going to do with my time? And then as of course, as life got busier and more full and things evolved, I didn't have time for all that. There's still, and not to say that like, you can certainly, in fact, I want to do a triathlon this summer. I'm like, how would I do that? What would it look like? I haven't done one in so long. But so there's still room to do those kinds of things. But in terms of like what my physical practice looks like now, I distinctly recall in my twenties thinking that like a three mile run around Green Lake, which you're probably familiar with Green Lake. So this a three mile run around Green Lake, I'd be like, yeah, that doesn't really count. Like it's not even 30 minutes. It doesn't quote unquote count for the day because it's not like it needs to be at least an hour. It needs to be like hardcore. Like there was all these rules for what actually counted. And now the only thing that counts, and I would say this really came out of motherhood for me is how does it help me manage my mental health? And so what I realized when my son was really little, I had all sorts of weird complications after he was born. Like I had super healthy pregnancy, healthy baby, and then like all sorts of shit went sideways. And so I had, I couldn't wear a bra for like three months cause I kept getting these infections and <laughs> breast infections. It was awful. And then I had like all this pelvic floor stuff that happened. So like, if I exercised at all, like I would just start peeing my pants. It was like, it was awful. <laughs> So, not cute. So, what I would do, but so for weeks or months, I did not exercise and my anxiety was through the roof. I've had anxiety, like which has recently been medically diagnosed, but I've had pretty significant anxiety since I was very, very young. And so, my anxiety would be through the roof. I would just feel really impatient with my baby all day long. And what I started to recognize was that if I can just move my body for 10 minutes in the morning while he's eating his Cheerios or his mashed bananas or whatever on the middle, in the middle of the kitchen floor, if I can do like a few squats and a couple push-ups, then I'm good. And that was where things started to really shift for me, where it wasn't about like, can I lose the baby weight? How long can I work out? What's the intensity? It was just like, I need to move my body in the middle of the kitchen floor in my pajamas while this kid is throwing Cheerios at me for 10 minutes. Sometimes it was seven minutes. Like I would literally like set timers and be like, well, didn't even make it 10 minutes today, but seven is good enough. So that shift really made a big difference to me. And what that has looked like over time now is that, yes, there's been, I've done a half marathon since he's been born. I've done like longer training things, but on a daily basis, like six days a week minimum, I move my body for like 15 to 20 minutes. And it is like, so not (laughs) what I would count as a workout as a personal trainer And it's what works for me. And it's really like, I turn on a podcast, I turn on music, I set a timer, I do my thing. And sometimes it's weights, sometimes it's boxing, sometimes it's the Peloton, but it's just 20 minutes of movement. And it's for managing anxiety and mental health. It's not for like, how many calories can I burn? And like, is this going to change how my clothes fit?
1: This is, I'm like, I, you know, I muted myself just so I wouldn't fuck up the audio, but I'm over here like doing like snaps and claps and (laughs) yes. (laughs) Because, because this is actually what very similar to what I've found works for this season of my life. And, and i have also, I've had to radically accept like those were other seasons of my life. Those were other seasons in my body. I want to live in a body that I can continue to move in, you know, well, well, until I'm old. And so that means daily movement. It means, you know, finding it and fitting it in where I can. Usually it's like 20 to 30 minutes. Anything counts for me too. So it's like, yeah. Was it a walk with my girlfriends or was it, you know, a weight training moment or, you know, you know, just doing a a quick yoga flow, whatever it is and doing it in a way that again is putting, putting the mental health piece first, because for me, you know, the thing that I, it took a really long time for me to figure out was the correlation between that, that movement practice and my anxiety and depression, because I had just, you know, I'd always been in a body that moved. I did soccer growing up. Then I got into dance. And then in college, I kept dancing. I did Pilates. I did weight training. And it wasn't until after the birth of my first son, I was home and I got super hardcore postpartum depression and was just struggling. And, and then was like, oh my gosh, I, I went to a spin class. And I was like, it was a totally random thing. Like I lived in the middle of nowhere went to a spin class. I'd never been to a spin class before. Did not have the right shorts on. Broke my vagina.
0: <laughs> <laughs> broke my vagina. I'm so sorry. I broke. you know, I, I was know, in I've been there. there were so many old
1: men too. They all, and, and they were like those old men cycling. So they were like, they were like so skinny from the waist down. And then they all had beer guts because they would like go for beers after the <laughs> spin class. And it was like 80s rock music. And I was like the only woman in there. Oh and God. afterwards, I just remember it. it felt like this fog lifted.
0: And it's, You feel high.
1: Yeah. And I was like, this is what's missing. And so, you know, and it's been fits and starts, but every time, you know, I like my seasonal depression is super high right now. So I'm like, you got to be on it. You got to really mm-hmm. be on this to, yeah. to help you. So I want to, we've, we've danced around the topic of motherhood, like so organically already, but I, I want to talk more about the shameless mom Academy. Cause one, like love, love that name. Like, I think it's, there's so much guilt and shame that comes with being a mom. And so I just, it really speaks to me, but I want you to just talk to me about that work and just like share the tea on what, what are you doing, you know, for mothers that are, that are looking for community and connection.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting because when I started this, I had no idea that we would end up in a global pandemic. So I started the shameless mom Academy almost six years ago. So it was like, up and running, the show had been going on for quite a while before the pandemic, and at that time, I was like, "Moms need more support." Like moms, like moms, there's so much guilt and shame, these social constructs around all the mental load of motherhood and all this stuff, all of which is very true. And then the pandemic, <laughs> and it's been so interesting to see, like the messaging that I've had now for six years. It's only more and more relevant every single day, um, which is disheartening in some ways. And also I'm just so grateful that I've been here, that I'm already here so that I can, like, I feel very comfortable and confident in this space. So when women and or when moms need things from me, I'm like, yes, I got you. Like, this is not my first rodeo. I've been here for a minute. And so here's how I can support you. So within the shameless mom Academy, we have the podcast, which is free. Anyone can access on any platform, but then we also have a membership community. And then I also have a business, a a smaller community that's a business and leadership mastermind for moms who have their own businesses. And what's been really great over time is seeing moms decide to step into the spotlight a little bit to be like, I need something more, or I need support, or I want to feel connected. And I think that, I think that so many women and moms in particular really sit and suffer in isolation, in loneliness, which I think leads to a massive amount of anxiety and depression in women. And when we look at research on friendship and connection for women, we know that like pre-pandemic women, there was an epidemic of women struggling with loneliness, isolation, depression, and anxiety. So that was like already there. And then we physically had to isolate everyone and put us all in our households where we had to carry the weight of everyone in the household as mothers. So, those things only became more severe over the last couple of years. So, what I'm really focused on right now is helping women instead of, I actually did a podcast last week about you don't need to be a better mom, because I think that we're in this place of if I just try harder, if I just do a little bit more, I should be more patient and I should blah, blah, blah. And like all these things to quote unquote be a better mom. And when we position things as like, I just want to be a better mom, we really dismiss the incredible moms that we already are. And when we have moments, so like today, for example, my son and my son's supposed, to, we are supposed to walk out the door by eight Oh five in the morning to get him to school at seven fifty eight, He's like, mom, my nose is kind of burning. And I'm like, what do not tell me your nose? Like I got calls go like, mama's got a roll of calls, like starting in 15, 20 minutes for hours. Like, I don't have time for your burning nose. So I'm like, okay. And that's like, as much as he can articulate, I'm like, do you have like a sore throat? Are you feeling bad? Like, he's like, I don't know, but just my nose is burning. So we take a rapid test, a COVID test. He's negative, but then he's like, maybe it's a sore throat. Maybe it's this. And then I'm like, oh, it does sound like maybe you're kind of like, we're going through this in like this five minute window of like all the things while we're waiting for the 15 minute rapid test. So ultimately he ends up staying home from school and (laughs) I could have shame spiraled. I could have been like, I'm a really bad mom. I am not going to cancel any of my calls and my child will be on a screen for the next 4 hours or I can recognize like this is the burden of parenting in a pandemic. My kids real delighted to have extra screen time and extra snacks today. So that's where we're at. And I'm not going to go into a shame spiral about it because you know what, you know who's also not going into a shame spiral about it? My husband, not shame spiraling. He's like, "Oh, you're staying home today? Okay, cool." Go like walks into his office, closes the door. If we had needed or asked for anything, if I had, or my son, like he would have done it 100%, but he's not having a shame spiral or mom guilt like my kid who's staying home. So I think that we have to constantly look at in this season, how incredibly in touch we are and how incredibly hard we are working and how our children know that they are loved and supported, even when it's real messy and they have a lot of extra screen time and they're eating snacks and there's like pretzels all over the house, like all over the couch that like all that is okay. And so my work really has been focused on right now, like recognizing and helping moms own that we've all been through a really hard time and we get to own that. Like I'm a freaking rock star for enduring this. And here's like all the things that I've done that make me more capable, more strong, more powerful, more resilient, more resourceful as a result of the last couple of years. And if I'm going to carry that, then I don't have to carry that, like my kids suffered because, yeah, our kids have suffered and we have suffered and we're really tired and we have every right to be tired. And so I think we get to own the hard parts by owning how the strength that they have given us, even on the days when we don't necessarily feel that strength and when we are catching ourselves in those moments of like, maybe I should just try to be a better mom.
1: I I will say as I was listening you share this story, it reminds me of like this group that I have with a couple of my mom friends. And like we will just share the most ridiculous shit going on with our kids on any given day. And <laughs> yeah. it just, you know, and and sometimes it's just like a picture of like that plate of dino nuggets, and you're like, I did it, dinner's on the table, you know. And and it it is this reminder of like motherhood is not about perfection or being Pinterest worthy. Like it's literally about like raising these humans and yeah, in the fed <laughs> and warm and, and, and the bar that I think has been set for some of us because of social media, because of, you know, your mother-in-law, I don't know. Like there's just this bar that a lot of us come in with and it's like, Oh my God, I've got to get to here. And I just, I think it's, you know, a lot of us, if, you know, the panda pushed us to be like, that's super unrealistic. and I'm not going to do that every day. And the thing that is coming out of it, or at least that I'm seeing in my friends, and I'm curious if you're seeing this in your community, is a lot of work around boundaries. Like a lot of us are finally being like, I don't have time for that shit anymore. <laughs> I don't want to go do that. Like these are, you know, because for me, the realization of, oh my God, we were doing too much, like too Sorry. much. And how can we use this moment of reflection and this, this moment of pause that the pandemic gave us? Like, I love, I'm an introvert. So I love the like, oh, my kid might have COVID. Sorry. Can't come. <laughs> right? You know, like, all right, what? I'm just not comfortable. I'm going to stay home in my gym some more. Like, I love that, but also I love on a more serious note, the way that the pandemic allows for us to look at and say, like, actually, I have permission to decide what I do and do not do, who I spend my time with, you know, and I need to maybe clarify what those boundaries are so I can be living a life that makes sense for me and my kids. And I'm just curious, are you seeing that? Are you feeling that in your community too?
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm totally laughing about you're like, oh, I just don't feel comfortable right now (laughs) because I think we've like all been there and that for me, that even dates back. So when my career at the psychiatric hospital, because the is open all the time, I would get called in frequently when they needed extra staff for like when they were short staffed or all sorts of random reasons. And so I, that would be my crutch for things. If I didn't want to do something, I'd be like, Oh, just got called into work. got to work some overtime. They are they're desperate for people. So that was like this crutch for me for years to get out of the things that I want to do. And then when I left that job, I was like, oh, now I have to like do all, go accept all the invitations. Damn it. But what's happened like with motherhood, just motherhood in general became like, oh, like baby's napping or bedtime is early or whatever the thing was where I'm like, we don't have to do this, some of those things. I've seen that absolutely come up in the pandemic. And I've so used the like, we're just not comfortable. Like, well, I guess an excuse for things, not like a ton, but you know, here and there. What I think has happened though, also is that as we practice setting boundaries in those ways, and sometimes using those little crutches. I think there's also an awareness and maybe it's because of the work that I do and some of the communities that I'm in. I think that there's an increasing, increased awareness around being able to transition from that place of like a bit of a white lie or a bit of a stretch in a boundary to like really being able to speak your truth in a way that is like super neutral and not a lie and is more honest about the situation. So to just say like, actually, I can't, I'm not available on Tuesday night and leave it at that. Or like, thank you for the invitation. That's not going to work out this time. Like, feel free to ask me next time. So without having to go in, like I used to be the queen of if I couldn't do something or if I didn't want to do something more often was the case, I would give an excuse that was like 18 paragraphs long and make up like a huge story to go with it to make sure that like the other person thought that I really wanted to do the thing, even though I didn't. And it was so ridiculous. And I think that we've gotten to a place now at least in my community. And when I'm helping women with boundaries, where we can have these really concise ways of setting boundaries that are just really neutral and simple and clear, as Brené Brown says, like clear is kind, it's really simple and clear and concise where there just need to be this whole like thing about it. It can just be us owning, like, this is what I need right now, or this doesn't work for me right now. And like, that's the end.
1: I, I will say like boundaries are hard, but I'm practicing them so much right now. And like just those little things of like, I don't, I don't have capacity for this right now. Like that's been a huge one in my relationships. Like it's just, I don't have capacity for this right now. And, and, you know, I appreciate it, but, you know, and that could be, you know, I don't have capacity to take on this project. I don't have capacity to have this conversation, you know, whatever that is. But again, it's about this tuning in of like, what is my internal bandwidth? And I think. I think that in the past, pre-pandemic, it was like, I was doing a lot of, okay, like, here's my, here's my, you know, my bucket for the day. And I was doling out, you know, the contents of that bucket to everybody else. And then it was getting to the bottom and there was nothing left. And I've, I've really worked hard to be like, okay, what portion of the bucket is mine? And I'm trying to make that bigger and bigger and bigger, actually. And then be like, and what do I have to give, you know, uh, left? And I know this concept is like, you know, for anybody with chronic health stuff, like the spoons concept and things like that is it's, it's really, you know, one that is important to think about, you know, what do you have the bandwidth for? And what are you taking on? And, and I just, you know, it's something that nobody taught me. Like nobody taught me that as a mom, you know, there's so much you don't learn going into it. And, you know, I try to find this balance of like, Not giving like a wild amount of like unsolicited, unrequested advice to new moms I see, but also thinking back and like, oh my God, just, I mean, just the difference of first child, second child, like the, the, the things that, that I know now because I've, I've had a baby before and I'm just curious, you know, based off of all the work you do with moms, like what, what are, you know, what are you seeing right now? that mom, new moms need support with most? And, and what advice are you offering to those that are struggling?
0: Yeah. So I actually want to get, your question is well-placed because I want to go back a little bit before I go to the question because I have another boundary thing I want to bring up, but it, it, I think it actually really speaks to the question that you just asked. And I'm probably going to ask you just restate that question in a minute because I want to make sure I answer it properly. But I think another boundary that we need to talk about that's really important that I think moms really need right now and new moms really need. And this is, and we can get really muddy with this when we don't uh, have clarity around it is boundaries around our energy. And so not even just our time and not who has access to us. And can we do something on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday at four or whatever, but energy boundaries. And so an example of this, which I think is probably relatable. So before I give the example, I will say Not everyone deserves or earns the right to be in your most inner circle. And so there are people in our lives who we are connected to and have been connected to since birth. And we think sometimes like, but they're blood or they're like, they've been a family friend forever, or I've known them since high school. Like we think people deserve this access to us by nature of some relationship that's been in place forever. And that's just totally a story that we're making up and it's not true. And nobody Automatically, should get access to us, and nobody should get access to our best energy, especially as moms. Because when we let that happen, we let someone else get our best energy. Who gets the worst part of us then? Our partners and our kids. So if I let my energy go to this toxic person, then all of a sudden, you know who I'm yelling at at night? My kid and my partner. That's super not cool. <laughs> so, one of the boundaries that I've been working on myself and have had a lot of clients working on is who gets to, who gets your best energy and who gets to be in that inner circle. And so one of the things that's happened with me is there's a close family relationship that I've struggled with over the last 8 years or so and it has these like I was going to say peaks and valleys. It doesn't really have any peaks. It has like just varying depths of valleys. <laughs> and- but what's happened in the last couple of years is some really weird things have happened on social media with this person connecting with me in ways that are just like totally inappropriate, basically bullying me on my business page. Like someone who I had already kind of gotten, put up a boundary around on my personal page has come back to bully me on my business page. And then I found out that like someone connected to them was like following me to get information on Instagram. And then I found out they were looking at my LinkedIn stuff and it was just like all these layers. And so. I thought I went through this like well maybe they're just trying to know about my life like maybe this is their way of like keeping in touch or loving me because this is a relationship that would typically be a loving relationship and so I'm like maybe they're just trying and then I in talking to my therapist about it she's like I just want you to recognize how frequently this is what we talk about <laughs> she's like how many weeks in a row are we going to talk about this person and like my issue of the week a couple of weeks ago was like, well, should I block their wife on Instagram kind of a thing? And she's like, Are we, we're really still talking about this. Like, what else would you like to spend energy on in your life? And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> yes, I just need to block this person. And so what I've been working on over time is looking at who gets that energy. And when something pops up on social, when someone pops into my DMS, when I see that someone has like, looked at my stuff on LinkedIn or whatever the case may be, If that person has not earned the right to be in my inner circle, then I don't need to give them any reason to put that boundary in place. If it's a boundary that needs, that will allow me to save my, the best parts of myself for me and for the people who I've chosen to have in that circle. And so I think that that can be really challenging. And I don't want to just suggest that it's as easy as like hitting a block button on Facebook. But I think sometimes having neutrality around the situation and not making it so muddy, but to make a clear line that like, in this moment, this is what I need. And maybe tomorrow I'll need something different and I can make a different decision then. But in this moment, this is what I need. And I think that when we're new moms or we're moms who are struggling, we let in a lot of stuff because we don't know what to do. And we listen to so many opinions and we give a lot of energy to people who haven't earned the right to be there. And that goes back to then the wrong people getting the best parts of us. And so having that discernment, which I think takes a lot of practice, especially if you're a new mom, because a lot of times it's like your mom and your mother-in-law are giving you advice and you're like, I don't want to hurt their feelings, but that's really bad advice. <laughs> so having discernment around those kinds of things is just an ongoing practice. And then giving yourself permission to really look at not just like time boundaries, which yes are important, but also look at energy boundaries. Because I think that that is so significant as well.
1: I. I love this, and I'm so glad you brought us back in that direction. And you, all, graceful, graceful segue back to the question. I'm just gonna give that two snaps. I was really
0: working on that. Yeah, I was you like, did okay, I circle was like, back. I was like, the
1: gymnastics that are going on here are like so good. Circle so, back. Uh, circle back. But, but really, like, it is so important because I. It took me a long time to think about my time and my money as a precious resource. And there was this moment, and I, I want to say it was like it was it was it was early on in my business and my dad my dad is a pretty prolific person in my life and he's he you know is is very in tune with himself and he's done a lot of buddhist work and things like that and we were talking about our our you know his work and my work and we both do a lot of service based work with with people and you know therefore take on all their energy and all of the bullshit they're bringing to the table some days and and i was just talking about how you know at first my goal was just to be like booked and be busy because i thought that meant i was being successful but then i realized like Holy shit. If I don't say like, these are the hours I work in. These are the hours I take lunch. These are the times I am not fucking available. You know, I will be completely extracted. And he's like, he basically told me, and I don't know if he put it into the construct of capitalism per se, but he's like the society we live in, like, just sees you as yet another resource and like it's
0: totally capitalistic.
1: It's going to extract everything it can. Like it doesn't give a shit about how you feel or if you're tired today or like, you know, if you've got some stuff going on at home, like if you don't put that up, it's just going to keep taking people, people are going to, that's just the way this, this society works. And so that really changed the way I think about energy at a time. And I think, especially as a mom, you know, you constantly have to be reevaluating because like you were saying with your son, it's like, okay, like sick kid, different dynamic today. Like, yes, you're going to keep those calls around, but also you might have to hop off at a moment's notice. Right. And, and so, you know, whether it's, you know, the time from when they're newborn to suddenly they're toddlers or they're, you know, just even week by week, you know, we're constantly, I think having to reassess and saying like, how much energy do I have? How much capacity do I have? What am I keeping for myself and those I love? You know, what, what do I feel like I can share with the world?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I love your point that it's a constant, like it's a constant renegotiation and, Someone said to me when my son was really little, I was like, When is it gonna get easier? And she was like, Here's the thing. She's like, in about three months, you're gonna be like, Okay, I feel like I'm starting to like get this down. And then she's like, and then everything's gonna change. And she's like, and every three months for like she had a three-year-old at the time. She's like, every three months for like at least the first three years, everything's gonna change. You're gonna feel like you just got it figured out and then it's all gonna change. And I feel like that's the case in motherhood. That's the case in entrepreneurship. That's also the case with the world. There's a really great quote that um Jim Collins said that basically, and Brené Brown brought it up related to the pandemic, but it was basically like, yeah, there's a lot of change going on right now. Like that's always the case. There will be a lot of change constantly through this pandemic. And after the pandemic, there's still going to constantly be like uncertainty and change all the time. And when I heard the quote, which I have pretty much butchered there, but that was the basic gist. And when I heard it, I was so mad because I was like, damn it, like I felt like there was this moment in the pandemic early on where we were like, as soon as it goes back to normal, as soon as it becomes predictable again. And the reality is, is it never was, and it's never going to be. And so that constant reevaluation, it's just part of our human experience, but it does go, does give us permission to change things for the better always. It also comes with the responsibility of like, who do I want to be moving forward? Like every three months. <laughs> So pros and cons to both of it, but it does give us that space to constantly be looking for that opportunities for growth and to shift things and reevaluate.
1: Yeah. It's, it's so funny too, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you and, you know, it's, it's about this like mythology again, that I think that we may have been fed around like balance. Right. And like, I, you know, Everybody, every mom's least favorite question, like, "How do you doing all?" Like, you know, <laughs> and like this, the the notion of balance is something that I, it's it's a concept I play with a lot. And at first, I went in the direction of like, "There's nothing called balance." Like, it's just, and now I'm starting to think about it of like, okay, but but actually, if you think about, you know, I'm gonna I'm, for some reason I'm on gymnast metaphors today. If we're like on the balancing beam, you know, balance is not about you know, standing in a perfect state where everything is, you know, just immobile, it's really about this constant little micro negotiation to stay in some sort of phase of semblance of equilibrium. And sometimes it means you fall off the fucking beat. But like, I literally have the words balance and gravity tattooed on my body. And so I walk around with these, got them when I was 18. So, you know, how much (laughs) did I know about motherhood? Nothing at that point.
0: You thought, you thought you were so wise
1: though. Oh my God. I was so deep. I was so deep. I was like, I have it figured out. These are the daily affirmations I need. But, but, you know, in terms of your personal experience, balancing your career, balancing being a mom, you know, how, how have you evolved your concept of that over time?
0: It's so funny because this is such a question, such a common question for moms. And I don't ever think about balance, (laughs) but I get asked about it all the time. And I and that might be common. I don't know. I, what I think about is like my focus right now and what, who and what are getting the best parts of me. And like, I'm always thinking about that because on any given day, there's like, I could pick from 18 things. So I'm like, what's the thing today? For example, a couple of weeks ago, this thing happened related to my old high school, something that I was really upset about. And I was like, I need to write this letter to the board of trustees. Like, this is absolutely inappropriate that this decision was made and I want to give them a piece of my mind. It took my whole weekend. Like, I did nothing else except for ride the Peloton and think about what I was going to put in this letter and like kind of halfway parent my child. But I was like obsessed with what I was going to say. And there was no balance in that weekend. <laughs> and then at the end of the weekend, I was like telling my husband, I'm like, I'm really tired. Like, all I did was think about this letter this weekend and like write it and revise it and share it with my friends and then revise it again. And before deciding if I was going to submit it or not. So I think on any given day, I'm looking at, what am I going to choose to do with my time and energy today? Or in any given moment, I'm thinking like, where, how, how do I want to show up right now? So when I am doing my work stuff, but when my son's at school, it's really like, okay, get in there, get it done, do the things that really matter most and ignore the rest. When I go to pick him up from school and we're walking home, I'm in that moment, like, okay, okay. I want to be in this moment and ask him about his day and be like really present right now, because in 15 minutes, he's going to get on his Nintendo switch so that I can work for another hour. And so being really there right then, I'm not thinking like, how should I balance the rest of the afternoon so that he's not on video games and I don't have to work. I'm already recognizing like, I'm going to work for another hour. And cause I've opted to not have childcare after school this year that, and my husband has the calls as well, but like, he's going to play video games for an hour. And that's that. I just, I don't think about the balance piece of it as much as I think of like, what do I need to be doing right now? Who gets the best part of me right now? Who doesn't get any of me right now? And I I think that it's more that constant discernment around like, who am I going to be in this moment? How am I going to show up? Who am I going to show up for at the exclusion of a whole bunch of other things and being intentional about that exclusive part, which is goes back to the whole boundary thing.
1: I'm like thinking, I'm like, should I cross out a tattoo and write presence instead? It's like <laughs> right? that that's what it, it's about. And I and I feel that too. I feel that that being, you know, because it's so much a part of the anxiety piece too, of like, you know, you can be there physically, but your brain can be over here. And so part of honing and working with a brain that has anxiety is figuring out how to be in the present moment. And and that's
0: it's so hard. It's a lifelong
1: journey.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. Like the and this could be the anxious brain but it could also just be like a mom brain where you're like reading to your kid at night but you're also writing an email in your head <laughs> and so and you have to catch yourself and be like i don't know what that whole last page said that i just read because i was writing this email in my head that i want to send tomorrow morning and then being like hold on like i want to come back to this moment and i want to like have a like tell my say something to my child that like shows i'm actually present right now so that i'm not just like blindly reading
1: no, I it's it's a dance, it's a dance, and like you know, figuring out like because sometimes I think that's a superpower, and you know, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm really just not here now, and so <laughs> totally. trying to trying to figure out like when is that a great thing and when is that like a we need to reel it in kind of thing. I mean, that is so key. So the closing question I want to ask you, and and I feel like this conversation has gone in so many beautiful directions. So I'm really curious to know
0: your answer
1: is, is about being fearless. You know, when, when we invite women on the, on this podcast, we look at your stories and we go, wow, like, look at all these leaps she made, look at all these decisions, you know, look at, you know, how she's pushing against the grain. And to me that takes the notion of, of being a little bit fearless. And so I'm curious to know, you know, what does being fearless mean to you?
0: I love this question. So I really don't like fear and I really don't like change. I like things to just stay the same every day. And so, and I grew up in a household where everything was very predictable. My mom was a nun for 16 years. So she came from a background where like everything was the same every single day for 16 years. So our household was a lot like that too. She was a single mom. It was my sister and I, she like had to have things running like real tightly for it to all work, which for me, created a ton of fear around change and growth, which is funny if you look at like my career. Because, like I said, I was like, "Should I do the same thing for forty years?" I don't. I can't imagine doing that. But at the same time, that's very much what I had been raised to do. So when I think about being fearless, I think about looking at the things that I've done, and anyone can do this, no matter how many changes you've intentionally or unintentionally made in your life. But looking at the the changes that you've made, the steps that you've taken, the growth the growth that you've gone to, whether or gone through, whether you've chosen it or the growth has chosen you and owning that, that, that you have accomplished so many things in this life, whether by choice or not. And that makes you courageous in ways that you probably aren't giving yourself credit for. So then when it comes to being in those moments where you feel fear around something, can you look back at, things you've done in the past as proof of concept that you are very qualified to do the thing that's in front of you in this moment. And so I think about that all the time in business stuff where I'm like, okay, like this move feels a little scary, but also I know that like every time I've shown up in this way in different capacities, I've gotten good feedback. It's worked out. I have figured it out. Even if I've flopped, I've like learned enough to make it worth my time to go through that hard thing. So that's really what I carry with me. Like is when I'm sitting in fear and feeling it, which is somewhat frequent is to look back at that, like decide what's the evidence you want to bring into the situation. The evidence I'm going to bring in is here's all these other times you were sitting in fear and here's how that worked out. And so this is probably going to work out too.
1: I love that. And I love what I love about that too, is it, you know, you get, I don't want to say riskier, but you get bolder, Totally. As you, as you continue to make moves, because you have trusted your instinct, you've trusted your intu- intuition, and then you can look back at that evidence and see, you know, how it's paid off over time, you know, or you, you look back and you're like, okay, and there's some things I would do differently too. You know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. But it becomes like a track record where you're like, oh, like this is the 35th brave thing I've done this year. <laughs> like it's really, you recognize like this is, it's part of your identity versus this thing that like feels Infrequent because I don't think fear is infrequent. I think it's often there. So when you can look at like, oh, like this is here all the time or often, and here's how I manage it, or here's how I've managed it in the past, then like it becomes this part of your identity. Like, oh yeah, like fear's sitting beside me a lot, and here's how I've chosen to work with that in the past, and here's how that worked out, and then you can really own it and, and embrace it.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, so we're gonna wrap up for now. <laughs> But I want to ask you a couple rapid fires before before we go. So the first one out the gate is what is a book or a business book that you would recommend everyone read?
0: Most recently, I would say it's new in the last year and a half, but um Atomic Habits by James Clear.
1: Yeah, a lot of my my circle. Can
0: I give you my favorite quote from the book? Yeah. This isn't this is very close to it. Every action you take is a vote for who you are becoming. Hmm. So when you're looking at choices, habits, routines, how you're going to show up, how you're going to set a boundary, like you're constantly voting for yourself. And so how are you going to vote for yourself? Is like my takeaway from that book.
1: I love that. I love that. Okay. What about one self-care practice or item that you cannot live without?
0: My morning workout.
1: One tech tool that makes your life easier.
0: (laughs) I always am complaining about tech technology and software. So it's hard for me to pick one that I, uh, but I'm grateful for it. I have to say like the entire Google suite. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's the thing I lean into the most probably. And it's holding every piece of content I've ever created.
1: (laughs) Bless you, Google drive. Bless you, Google. (laughs) Thank you for holding it all in the cloud together. Right. right. (laughs) I love it. Okay. What about, what is one trait that you believe every entrepreneur should have?
0: Courage, which I think every entrepreneur has, but maybe doesn't totally own or embrace. Mm
1: -hmm. And then what is the last thing you did to have fun?
0: Skiing with my son, which is a new habit since I, in my mid forties that I learned, which has been, if you want to talk about, I could talk to you for 18 hours about fear and skiing, when you asked about fear, I was like, Oh, do I, do Do I dive into the whole skiing thing? And that's a whole nother interview, but yes, I learned how to ski at the age of like 43 and it's been an adventure, but now it's very fun.
1: That, that gives me so much help. Cause I, so I've been a snowboarder for most of my life, but I just watch people in ski clothes, go down the mountain in like thinner gear and less ass falling. And I'm just like, maybe I need to take a skiing.
0: So that's exactly why I switched from snowboarding because I literally broke my butt when he was in his first ski season. I had a major tailbone injury from snowboarding and I had to sit out for like six weeks and it was a huge bummer. And I was like, screw this. I'm too old for snowboarding. I'm going to learn how to ski. And I don't like speed or momentum or heights. So, like, I can't stand chairlifts and it was terrifying. And now I really love it, but I'm still very often very scared of dying on the mountain.
1: Okay. This, this, the, I, you've planted a seed. I'm going up in two weeks and I'm like, am I going to bring skis this time? Am I going to take a lesson? We'll see
0: what happens. I'll keep you posted. Oh, highly recommend, highly recommend. I just think there's more long-term sustainability. Yeah. Like I was never going to be a snowboarder in my seventies. I could ski into my seventies. My husband, my husband snowboards. And I'm always like, what are you going to do snowboarding into your seventies? He's like, yeah, I am now. It's like his personal challenge. <laughs>
1: I love that. Well, I will keep you posted. Maybe we'll meet up on a mountain somewhere. Yes. You know? That's so fun. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your candor. I want everyone listening to find you, follow you on social. We'll put all that in the show notes. Um, check out Sarah's podcast, check out her site, her work, everything that she's doing. Just so grateful for you. Thank you, Sarah.
0: Thanks so much, Madeline. This has been really awesome.
1: I know I said this at the top of the episode, but again, I just feel so blessed in the ways that one conversation can lead to the next. And I was so honored to just get to know Sarah in this interview because I see her story as being one that will not only be so impactful for the moms that listen to this podcast, but quite frankly, it was impactful for me. There's so much of myself I see in Sarah's story and it just reminds me of the progress that I've made since starting out this company in this podcast and also gets me super hyped for, you know what it will feel like and be like when I'm, you know at the level where Sarah is, where she's been podcasting for six years now, and she's got you know millions of downloads and and really this community that she's created around all of the work she's doing she's such a great joy she's somebody who i hope you all take some time to get to know further we'll put all of her details as we always do in the show notes so you can find and follow her wherever she's showing up on the web i also want to just take a moment to thank you all for being our community you know the way this podcast works you know the thing that makes it possible is y'all who show up and listen to this and you know, my only ask, my only call to action for y'all this week is to just help us spread that reach. You know, I was talking about the ripple on the episode today. And if you can be a part of that ripple for us, if you can help this episode reach someone new, you know, a mom who may be struggling or, you know, a new entrepreneur who needs to see herself in stories like this. And that's my ask is help us pass it on and give us a great review on your favorite podcast app so it can reach more people. Okay, y'all. Thank you for taking the time for being a part of our amazing listening community. Until next time, I'm your host, Madeline Pratt, and you've been listening to the Finding Fearless podcast. You've been listening to another episode of the Finding Fearless podcast. It's hosted by me, Madeline Pratt, produced by Kimberly Fulmer, scheduled by Lauren Conti, and edited by the amazing Danielle Witten. This has been a Fearless Foundry production. All audio is recorded and owned by Fearless Foundry.